umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast this is phil callahan along with clint derringer and we have a number of great topics to talk about today first up michigan football played their spring game so clint what did you think of the maze versus the blue spring game that we saw I think it was a cool event. I think it was nice to get out on the field and get people into the stands and uh, weather held out, you know, for early April in Michigan. And, uh, you know, all around, I think it was a good atmosphere and a good time for fans, a good time for players and coaches to to compete without, um, you know, without uh, showing too much uh, on Big Ten Network and uh, got the competitive juices flowing and, and got to hit and tackle and, and play in live situations. Um, strategically, it was good to see all four coordinators, you know, co-offensive coordinators and co-defensive coordinators on opposite sides, kind of strategizing and calling plays and, and getting into a rhythm with that type of stuff. And, and then obviously getting to see players get reps on the field and, and a couple uh, down the depth chart type guys get more run than they normally would and uh, some young guys, even uh, early enrollees. So all in all, I think it's, it's a great, uh, a great day, a a good thing, certainly. Uh, But obviously we have to take uh, more than a couple grains of salt, you know, with, with any kind of analysis or what we glean from it, but there's, you know, it is football. It is, uh, you know, there is, there's some things, there are some things that we can, uh, that we can see and, and at least, um, you know, kind of put in the memory bank for, for future reference as we uh, get closer to the fall. But uh, I think all in all, it was a great day, and it was, it was fun to see those guys competing, and it looked like, uh, looked like Harbaugh was really uh, kind of in his element, right? He had that, uh, that, that grin on his face where, you know, just, just a football day with, uh, with all of his players and coaches, and that's always good to see. Of course, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that the Blue Squad triumph, 20-12. to 12. And, uh, again, one of the things that I took from it is you could see how much fun the players were having. And, you know, Clint, we've seen this at various levels when you're coaching or on a team that, you know, you have weeks and weeks of practice, and it really seemed that the players were energized to be playing in front of the fans, playing at the stadium, um, you know, it really marks the end of, of um, you know, spring ball. There was one more practice that they still had to have. But you could definitely see guys having a good time, and it was nice. Fans seemed to have a good time. You know, definitely, you know, there is a appetite for Michigan football. I think last season only whetted that appetite. So people were out wanting to see not only the new coordinators, but see some of the new players see uh, how some of the new parts are going to fit into the puzzle. Um, One of the things that kind of there was a little bit of a buzz about was um, the new, I don't want to say the new, but quarterback who got a lot of reps, Davis Warren, um, boy, he kind of had a cannon there. It was kind of, I was kind of surprised to see that because, you know, you talk about that, you know, they don't want to show too much and, Cade McNamara said that in the post-game press conference that, you know, we're really out there. We want to get some reps, but we're we're not going to, you know, let the whole playbook hang out. 
but it was interesting to see, um, you know, a guy who's pretty far down on the depth chart, you know, with Cade McNamara coming back as the returning starter and JJ McCarthy looming, uh, as a, as a competitor for that position. Um, what did you think about what you saw, Clint? I, I thought Davis Warren was, was sharp, and, and I, I like the way that the ball comes out of his hand for sure. I, I think he's a legitimate uh, contender for that third spot on the depth chart um, behind Bo- or you know, with Bowman competing for that third spot. So uh, the feedback that we got from players in, in some of the interviews afterward was that he – uh, that's not much of a surprise to the players and coaches that have seen him. He he ran a lot of the scout team through the last season, uh, which is a similar path to how Cade McNamara ascended to, uh, you know, to backup duties a couple of years ago and eventually becoming the starter. Right? He he led the scout team week uh, week to week and uh, got a lot of reps and a lot of chances to make throws in practice, uh, giving the defense a good look. So. Um, all of the coaches were, were pretty familiar with Davis Warren and his ability physically. And uh, he did he did turn some heads, and, and my eyes opened up a little wider too, seeing the ball come out of his hand. I, I thought um, instantly that that's, that's a fourth quarterback that I, don't, I didn't know that we had. Um, and then you got two you know, freshmen coming in behind him that you know, really have a chance to develop because they're not thrown right into a, a depth chart, you know, a position where they have to go, uh, you know, compete to, to be ready on a game day. Um, they're going to be able to learn the system uh, a little bit slower and really understand the, the playbook um, and the concepts at a better level because you've got four quarterbacks at the, at the front end of your quarterback room, all capable of, of leading the team in a, in a game situation, depending on health status and, you know, and what the scoreboard says. So it was a, a welcome surprise. And uh, it was also uh, interesting to hear that it's it was not a surprise to the coaches and to the players. So it's clear that he's consistently um, uh, productive in those practices, even with the scout team. And that's, that was good to see as well. I agree. What I liked about it is one of the things I thought was going to happen when Jim Harbaugh returned to Michigan is that Michigan was going to become kind of a quarterback you, right, that – you know, his reputation of developing talent and having been a player um, would mean that we would have a full crop of quarterbacks every year. And we haven't seen that every year, and perhaps we're starting to see that, right? Because here was a guy who really kind of came out of nowhere. Um, it's, it's one thing for the players and the team to know about him, but publicly we hadn't heard a lot about him. And, again, he came out firing, and uh, it was funny – I, I almost, uh, I kind of was thinking, you know, I don't know if he got the assignment. This is just a spring game. You're not supposed to be showing so much. But, um, again, he just looked good executing, um, you know, a very limited slice of the playbook. And, again, he's got an arm. So it, it's nice to see, and it was nice to hear the other players talk about it. Um, you know, I mentioned that the players were having a good time. Um, one of the things that, that I really thought was funny is, um, Darius Clemens, right, scored a touchdown. And um, I encourage everybody to go to the website, umgoblue.com, and look at the spring photos, spring game photos. And he obviously had planned in advance. Um, he had hidden a cell phone underneath the pads of the goalpost. So he scored a touchdown, and he ran over. And, again, we have great photos of it. 
pulled out the phone and uh, was taking a selfie with the offense. You know, and again, it, it's good to see. You know, I know that there are some people, some older fans out there who may not have liked it. But, you know, again, there's a joy in playing football. It's not supposed to be a job. You're supposed to have, you know, a good time. And you could definitely see the players enjoying themselves. And I, I got a kick out of, out of uh, seeing that happen in real time. And then, you know, really seeing the great photos of it happen. And, you know, one of the things I want to point out to people when you look at those photos is Ronnie Bell was in the end zone and he was there celebrating with everybody. And it's good to see, you know, last year Ronnie got injured early. Um, he came back. He did everything he could to help out and kind of be an, an extra coach in the receiver room. And it's very clear to see that it's nice to see that he still has the camaraderie with his boys, right? He's still, he's still one of the guys. And, you know, he wasn't in pads, but he was definitely enjoying the moment. And, and I'm looking forward to seeing him back on the field next season. Yeah, it's interesting that you picked that up from the press box because it really was highlighted on the TV coverage. I was watching at home, and they were doing a sideline interview with uh, Devin Gardner interviewing Ronnie Bell specifically about his leadership role and, and how he's progressing with uh, his recovery from the ACL surgery. And the ball goes in the air, and he, you can tell he's kind of looking past uh, Devin Gardner to see it. And then uh, – when Clemens makes the catch, he takes off like mid interview takes off, runs down the sideline and, and gets in the fray down there with the celebration. So you really got to see on the, on the BTN coverage, the, you know, just kind of the raw emotion. And, and again, the, the, the joy, the fun that, that those guys were having down on the field. Um, it's right there on the camera. And, and, and even, you know, Gardner uh, was able to kind of give his, you know, his, his perspective on what he thought of it. And it was it was good to see those guys with a lot of positive energy and, and enjoying themselves. So, again, you player, you know, I would say, okay, what did we see? We got to see the team on the field. Weather was nice. People showed up. Didn't seem to have any severe injuries. We checked all the boxes. We, we, we fulfilled the assignment, right? The team did what they needed to do. Now, there was also some, you know, some other stuff going on, some other uh, color going on around the game. Um, one of the things I noticed is there were a number of alumni football players on the sidelines. So that was interesting to see. Um, of course, Devin Gardner was there in a working capacity. Um, Denard Robinson was there in a working capacity. But there were also other players there who were taking in the scene. So that was nice to see. Um, um, there also was a lot of extra national attention because Colin Kaepernick was there um, doing a, I guess we'd call it a passing drill during the halftime of the spring game. Um, you know, it, it's hard to evaluate a guy who's been sitting on the sidelines for you know several seasons now. I will say uh, his receivers didn't help him out too much. He did complete a couple long passes and Again, you know, I, I think there's been a lot of heartburn among the fan base about him being there and what it meant. Um, you know, I'll tell you what I saw, okay? Um, he is very popular among the players. He is very popular among many of the younger fans, right? So I've heard questions on why was he there? Did he need to be there? Um, another thing that was happening was Spike Lee was there. 
Um, now, Spike Lee's been a Michigan fan for a long time. He's been to multiple games. Um, one of the reasons I remember is he hates Notre Dame, and I hate Notre Dame, so he's come back for a few Michigan-Notre Dame games. Um, we're on the same page as far as hating Notre Dame. Um, it was funny. You know, Spike is a, a well-known basketball fan, and, again, I direct people to pictures on the website. There's a picture of him talking to Hunter Dickinson, and uh, it's funny because Spike is not the tallest guy, and Hunter Dickinson is a very large man. Uh, it looked like he could pick him up like a toddler. Uh, just a funny picture of, you know, the differences in, in height. But the thing that I would, um, you know, point out to people is, listen, Spike Lee was there filming a documentary about Colin Kaepernick. Whatever your feelings are about Colin Kaepernick, it brought attention to the program and it brought attention from people, and I say, you know, younger players who hold him in high regard. So, you know, whatever your personal feelings are on it, um, there, there's a reason that it was good. It was good for the program. And, you know, um, Harbaugh still has a close relationship with Colin Kaepernick. Um, he has come out and, and supported him and what he's doing. So, again, more attention from the program. I, I, would, I wish people would see it as that as opposed to trying to attach any negativity to it. Yeah, and it's it, – of course, there's a lot of polarizing conversation around Colin Kaepernick and his – you know, the stances that he's taken um, in terms of uh, civil rights and, and, and police brutality. And, and that's – you know, without delving too much into uh, that particular set of issues, from a football standpoint, I think it's very positive – to to show a strong relationship between your head coach Jim Harbaugh and all of his former players, right? Anybody from his football past, stretching back into the uh, early to mid '80s when he was a player at Michigan, um, all of those relationships that he brings with him, that's an asset for for Harbaugh in particular and for Michigan as a program. So leveraging those relationships and, and turning those into anything positive for your program is a good thing, regardless of how you feel about any particular player or their, or their particular um, impact, right? So um, when you look at it from a general stance uh, like that, I think it is a good thing for the program to, to leverage those relationships, obviously. And there, there are other relationships and other people that have been associated with the program um, that, that would come from the other side of, uh, of the political spectrum, of course, and and I would say that, you know, they're just as valuable as well. I think when you're talking about uh, a program like Michigan football, you you really want to try to be as inclusive as possible and get everybody pulling in the same direction. And Harbaugh is one one extremely unique figure, um, in that he is so laser focused on on football um first and foremost you know almost always that uh that you know all of those other things fall to to secondary status for him so um jim harbaugh was was with the 49ers when they drafted kaepernick so we evaluated him chose him helped him develop all the way to becoming a starter and obviously uh almost you know won a super bowl with him as the quarterback so it's a strong bond, and, and that 
um, particular bond uh, with football at the center was was great to see. Uh, again, Harbaugh kind of running him through those drills and trying to trying to help him create an opportunity for himself at the next level. And uh, you know, we'll see see how it goes. But um, I, I personally would put Harbaugh at the center of your your conversation there from a Michigan standpoint. And uh, regardless of how you feel about Colin Kaepernick, I think it is a positive thing that Harbaugh continues to try to help out his guys um, in whatever way he can. And there's, um, you know, that that's something that's always been uh, one of the core principles uh, from the leadership of the Michigan football program. And I think it's a good thing. You know, and I think you make a great point, Clint. Whatever controversy or drama swirls around Kaepernick he is one of Harbaugh's players and I think it was important for the current crop of players to see that Harbaugh will have your back and and I like you know focusing on that angle of it Um, you know again attention is attention you know several years ago Michigan took part in the Amazon video special right kind of behind the scenes Um, you know we don't know when this uh, documentary is going to come out, but, you know, possibly footage will be used and it'll help promote, you know, attention is good. And, you know, I, I think it definitely resonated with the current players and, and, you know, definitely showed that um, Harbaugh has, you know, his players back. So again, uh, you know, spring game, attention for Michigan, a win all the way around. And I'll, I'll tell you the other thing that, um, you know, and, and it's the kind of thing you don't see on the broadcast, you don't see in the articles, right? Is that Kaepernick was on the sidelines after the game, and again, there's a lot of people who don't like him. There is a there were a lot of people in the stands who were there to see him, and were very supportive. And you know, you're you're trying to, you know, I always say my Michigan fandom is a very large tent. Okay, come on in, right? And it was nice to see that, um, you know, Harbaugh was backing his player and there were people who were who were um, supporting somebody taking a stand. So um, so in addition to the spring game, um, you know, uh, there also was a rumor that, um, you know, Jim Harbaugh must have a lot of respect for Colin Kaepernick. There was a rumor that when Harbaugh was interviewing for the Minnesota coaching job in the NFL, he mentioned that uh, at some point when Kaepernick uh, decided to uh, give up his playing career that Harbaugh would be interested in possibly having him join the staff. So there are a lot of things there swirling around. Um, in addition to the spring game, we got word that the athletic department is looking at fancy new scoreboards. And, you know, kind of surprising. I think the scoreboards are kind of uh, are at least functional. They're not as nice as some of the brand new scoreboards that you'll see in some of the brand new stadiums, but again, they 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 seem to get the they seem to get the job done. Um, overall, the project is uh, going to be worth forty-one million dollars. It's going to basically take part of or include replacing the scoreboards, um, infrastructure, site work, design fees, twelve million, twelve million for the actual new scoreboards. Eight million for the production room upgrades, five million for a new audio system, and uh, miscellaneous four million for safety additions for access to the scoreboards. 
Clint, what do you feel? What were your thoughts when you heard that Michigan was replacing their scoreboards again? Like you, I was a little bit surprised. Um, the first thing I looked at is so what's the you know what's the lifespan of these things supposed to be? I think in the article from the Detroit News that we were that we were looking at, uh, they mentioned that they were having a, a hard time uh, procuring replacement parts to to keep doing maintenance on the on the scoreboard. So that's that's one big sign. Obsolescence is a big sign that it's time to start replacing some of your assets. So. Uh, I was a little bit surprised looking a little deeper. It seems like, uh, you know, video display technology, you know, at right around 10, 11 years is, is, is pretty, pretty correct for, for having to replace something like that. So um, where I was initially a little bit concerned that, that this was unnecessary after looking, you know, taking maybe an hour to look into it, it, it seems like it makes perfect sense that it would be necessary. So, um, no big deal from that perspective. The other thing that I would say is that I think this is, um, I think it's a, a signal that uh, the concerns that we discussed, you know, over the last year or two years during the pandemic and, and the hole that was blown into the athletic department budget, um, I, I think that some of those concerns have eased, I would say, because if, uh, if those concerns were still center uh, you know, center stage, and we're still on the minds of, of Ward Manual and, and the Regents. Then this is this is not a project that you would you would be greenlighting and, and announcing if you were still worried about the athletic department budget in the short term and in the long term. So um, the fact that they are going forward with something like this, it's it's reasonable given um, you know the life the life expectancy of of the equipment and um, I think that it's a good sign for how the athletic department feels about their own financial stability going forward, which is, which is good. You know, there were, there were definitely some legitimate concerns uh, this time last year. So. Yeah. And apparently um, the project is going to be paid for with gifts. So it's not technically part of the budget. Um, it's going to be, um, and the scoreboards are going to be wider. So um, now the thing that struck me is when you go to many of these new stadiums, which I've been lucky enough to do, um, a lot of the new stadiums have video all the way around, right? And the first thing I thought of was, uh, you know, the Halo from about a decade ago, a decade or a couple, almost two decades now. Um, so I'm sure that they'll do this tastefully and it'll look good. You know, it's going to be interesting because, you know, um, one of the things that, um, you know, we're going to talk about today is, you know, the athletic department also sent out a season football season ticket survey. Right. And one of the things we talked about due to COVID, in addition to having a hole blown in your budget. Right. Is I, you know, you had a whole year due to COVID where fans didn't go. Right. Fans were, you know, obviously, you know, couldn't go for most cases unless you were very close to the program or, or family. Um, so, you know, we talked about how many people, you know, specifically older fans were possibly not going to come back. Right. And, you know, how do you draw people to the stadium? What kind of things do you do? Right. And it's interesting because obviously Michigan had a great year last year and, and the stadium was, was chock full. Um, you know, a lot of pent up frustration. People wanted to get back in, 
also some great football, right? But I can see that the athletic department is between a rock and a hard place right now, right? You have a fan base that is very proud of having the largest collegiate stadium, you know, football stadium. And you can look over at the student section and almost every game it's late arriving or never arriving. And it used to be there was a long list for football season tickets, right? And a couple of things happened. The athletic department, um, you know, started, you know, and we're going to call it a seat license because that's what it is, okay, a mandatory donation. And they started, oh, we're only going to charge the people between the 40s, and then we're going to charge people, oh, if you're in the end zones, don't worry about it. Well, guess what? Now everybody pays it, right? So that was a limiting, uh, a forcing factor of some people giving up their season tickets because they couldn't afford the mandatory donations for all the tickets. They also limited, um, you know, there were companies and people who had a large number and they started limiting that. They started cutting back on that. They wanted to cut into that waiting list. Well, combination of some lackluster seasons um, before Harbaugh came in, you know, the Rich Rod and the Brady Hoke era, um, combination of, an, uh, you know, a fan base that's getting older, Young fans don't seem to be taking up season tickets the way they used to. You know, Clint, I don't know about you, but when I graduated from Michigan, one of the first thing, one of the best benefits was I got to, you got to jump ahead on the season football waiting list. I mean, that was a great benefit, right? And I know a couple other people I graduated with took advantage of that. Well, well, now we can look on the uh, Michigan football athletic site, and season tickets are available. Okay, the waiting list is gone. So, you know, you have, you know, the, the athletic department wanting to keep the stadium full and, hey, we need to add the scoreboards. We need to add things and, you know, to, to draw people. And then, you know, you look at this survey that went out. And, uh, again, for those who haven't seen it, um, you can find it on the umgoblue.com website, Michigan Football Season Ticket Holder Survey. And Clint, what, what were some of the things that jumped out at you when you looked at the survey? I think the, the first thing that jumped out to me is they, it's clear that they're trying to figure out what the, what fans want from a fan experience. And to me, my, my, my mind jumps immediately to the conversation about why would I go watch in the stands when I've got, you know, this setup at home where I've got two, three, four, five TVs and can watch all the games around the country um, that are also going on in addition to, to watching Michigan. So the, the, the focus, you know, for many sports entertainment uh, venues has been what, what is it about being in the arena? What is it about being in the stadium that uh, I, outside of what's happening on the field can we do that that would make you want to be here as opposed to staying home or, or watching from from a restaurant or bar so that conversation is yet to be resolved i don't know that anybody has has done uh has really answered it or at least created any type of best practice but the the thing that stood out from that conversation is about um wi-fi access and 
the, the a common complaint for folks that are at the big house is the lack of connectivity with their with their cell phones, whether it's even being able to text uh, or call people or access to uh, any uh, of the other apps that are that are you know wired and connected and, and connecting you to other people and sharing the experience that you have. Um, I think that the, the the younger generation, certainly um, you know Gen Z and current college age kids. Um, operate a little bit differently in terms of how they want to be connected with what they're doing and, and still, um, you know, augmenting that through their phones and, and the lack of service, I thought what was probably the biggest hurdle, uh, to like solving that problem may help generate other things that, that help answer that question about why would you want to be here in the stadium during the game, as opposed to watching from somewhere else. Well, as I look through the survey instrument, you know, having been involved in writing surveys and parsing survey data, there's a couple things that jump out to me. Um, you know, and, and again, hey, all these things you want, what do you care about? Um, first, there's some spelling mistakes, which is just amateur hour, okay? Mm. Um, understand that with these surveys, even if there is a spelling mistake, that's something that should be corrected. You know, it's not going to pollute the data. Okay. Um, but again, so, you know, I, I'd encourage people to go look through the questions, but there's one, qu the first question that jumps out to me. Okay. Under the changes to the game day experience. Okay. You know, there's a, and, and there's a very self-serving question. Are you aware that the athletic department is self-sufficient and does not receive financial support or subsidies from the university. All right, again, that's a very self-serving question. And then the setup is, and here's the payoff, which change would you prefer, okay? Mm. Not, hey, we're thinking about, not, hey, give us some suggestions, okay? Right after that question, right after the changes to the game day experience, okay, in order to enhance the Michigan Stadium experience for fans and season ticket holders attending games, the athletic department is considering changes on game day at Michigan Stadium. Please share your feedback on changes you'd like to see made to the game day experience. There's the question of, hey, you know, we don't get money from the university. Got it. Which change would you prefer? Higher ticket prices. Next option. Changes to the game day experience. Alcohol sales. Sponsor advertising, improve Wi-Fi access with sponsor integration, etc. Right, and not a fill in the box, not a none of the above. This is one of these is going to happen, okay? And I think that they're you know tilling the ground a little bit of, well, if you don't want all this other stuff, you're going to get higher ticket prices. Clint, what irritates me is we're going to get both, okay? We're going to get higher ticket prices and we're going to get this other stuff, and. I think the the thing that um, you know then goes on to ask questions about selling alcohol, sponsor signage, PA reads. Um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things that I think are going to be changing. Um, I have a suspicion. Okay, when you go back to the survey instrument, because again, you can sort the way these surveys work is. Um, when you ask certain questions, you can filter everything by the people who a answer certain questions a certain way, right? So the very first question is, 
where are your seats currently located? In the bowl, club seats, or suite, right? My guess is that the alcohol question is being fueled by the club seats and the suite holders. They pay a lot of money to not have access to alcohol. And, you know, as much as, uh, you know, in my opinion, you know, often alcohol sales mar events because there's always stupid people. Um, I can understand if you're spending a lot of money on suite tickets or club seats, you know, you're going to want to have that. And, and this comes back to, I think, this vice that the athletic department's in, right, is you're having trouble selling filling the stadium you don't have your wait list anymore and like you said clint why should i come to the stadium okay um and you know alcohol you know as far as food sales go is a huge markup there's a you know it's a huge profit driver right so um i think that's one thing that that jumped out to me that that we're going to be seeing something like that right um the other thing that and they kind of just mention it you know, as a throwaway, right? Um, oh, yeah. How do you feel about decreasing capacity to add social spaces? Example, beer garden, okay? Now, Clint, I will tell you, I, I've been around Michigan football, you know, as a fan, a student, alumni for a very long time. And I have not talked to one person or heard one person ever who doesn't who wants capacity to decrease at Michigan Stadium okay I've never heard one person say it okay so understand that when you see uh hey are you okay with decreasing capacity you got to be kidding me right I mean that that's just um that's almost a non-starter question um and so when I look at the survey we're not going to see the results of this okay and the other thing that I take from this is being cynical is these changes are already being made and this is to give some kind of justification. You know, they're going to cherry pick the responses to support what's going to happen. So I, uh, I was really, I, I got to be honest with you, this survey showed up in my, my inbox and I didn't even look at it because I have a very low opinion of whether it's going to change anything. Um, and then I started hearing a little bit of chatter of what was in it. So I went back and looked at it and, you know, and here we are. Yeah, it'll, it, it'll definitely be interesting to see which decisions get made. And for me, I, I would, I would be interesting to, I would be interested to try to guess what direction they're going, right? There, there's gotta be kind of a vision that, uh, that guides the, the individual decisions that are made over the next season or a couple seasons. And we'll see if we can kind of uh, um, forecast what exactly is driving some of that and, and revenue and, and the, the almighty dollar are definitely going to be at the center of it. But um, you know, the, the rest of the rest of the, what's protected, what are the, uh, what's considered sacred to uh, to the game day experience, I think, is going to really take center stage and drive a lot of the most emotion and and probably the most uh, engagement in terms of conversations from the fan base and the season ticket holders. It's going to be interesting to me to see. You know, I wonder if these results are going to be available via a Freedom of Information Act request because, like I said, I have zero I have zero faith we're going to see you know 
these results, you know, did, you know, in a press release or anything. Now, I'm caught, okay, because I do have experience, um, you know, probably about 10 years ago, I had season tickets at the Tigers, okay, the Detroit Tigers, and, you know, it came with uh, club access, and it was really nice. It was fun, right? Now, I, I definitely like watching the game more out from the stands, but if I had to entertain people or I would take people from work, and, I, and it dawned on me at the time, I looked at the money I was paying for my Tiger season tickets versus the money I was paying for my Michigan football season tickets and understand that Michigan football is sacred to me, okay? And I was looking at the money going, huh, it's a lot easier to write this check for the Tigers, and they weren't great at the time just because the overall experience was nicer. So, you know, I can understand as the athletic department is, is you know, you have a, a big change in this area, right? You have the new Little Caesars Arena that opened downtown, which is about, I'd say, about a 30-minute drive, right? And you have the Pistons there, you have the Red Wings there, and it's, it's a nice arena, right? They used to be out at the Palace, which was, you know, Pistons used to be out at the Palace, which was a nice arena, but it was, it was not easy to get to from Ann Arbor, right? So you have increased competition from, you know, the Detroit area. And, um, you know, you have a lot of people who are Lions fans who, who support that team and go there. So as, as you're bringing in newer fans, and as we said, it seems like new alumni aren't uptaking season tickets as much as they used to, right? So you're really competing with people who don't have a strong tie to the team the way alumni did and the way longtime fans. So I, I sympathize with the struggle of the athletic department. Um, I'm not okay with some of the choices that I'm afraid are going to happen. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and I'll tell you as a season ticket holder. Okay. <clears throat> one of the things that I've noticed is, and it was a combination of the team getting worse. Okay. And again, rich rod era, Hoke era and prices going up. You used to be able to walk down to your section and you knew almost everybody. You could look 10 people around and you'd see the same people, okay? And if they weren't there, you'd go, oh, so-and-so sold their tickets, right? That has drastically changed, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and I will tell you that I've had more and more negative experiences at my seats from, and I'll tell you, primarily alcohol-related. People... You know, people who just show up to one game are, and are drinking a lot in the stands come down and, you know, are, are troublesome, right? And one of the things I'd always say about college, you know, going to Michigan games as well, somebody might show up and be a little wound up, but at least by halftime they've kind of dried out or they've left, right? You know, I'm concerned what's going to happen, okay, and, and what that experience is going to be like. But, you know, the athletic department has tried to deal with that. You know, they have the – you know, there's a reason – they started flashing the number up on the scoreboard if you're having trouble in your seats. Okay, there's there's a reason that happened. That happened. So, um, again, it, it's I understand the the challenge. I understand you know the answers aren't easy, but when I see this survey, there's some very troublesome things that I see. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think they're easy things, right? Like. You know, sponsored Wi-Fi, that's a slam dunk. You see that at, at many places. And, um, you know, the other interesting thing, too, is, <clears throat> you know, 
So it's interesting because um, Mark Cuban, you know, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, um, talks a lot about how they get fans engaged, right? How do you get fans to return? And, you know, I, I saw an interview with him a couple years ago, and he says, you know what? People keep bringing me apps, right? And listen, Wi-Fi access is important for people to Instagram from and post pictures. He goes, to broadcast out, Wi-Fi is important. He goes, I don't want any app that takes people away from the in in arena experience, right? But I wonder if that's changing as the fans as the fans change, right? We are talking about a different generation. So we're definitely kind of had a have a ringside seat at at um, watching some of these changes kind of land. And mm-hmm. I think that when you have a stadium as high profile and as large as Michigan Stadium, you know, we're kind of the uh, canary in the coal mine. Yeah, and a couple other things I think that are really heavy uh, heavy hitters in terms of game day experience that, that need to be tackled, um, not just by Michigan, but by all of, of FBS and, and big-time college football uh, programs is, is number one, the, the TV broadcast, the, the rhythm of the game is, is brutal when you're in the stadium. It, it's frustrating at home with TV commercials. My least favorite thing is, is a, a touchdown, extra point, commercial, kickoff, commercial. When, when they when they center when there's a kickoff and they go back to commercial, I, I I just want to throw my TV right out the window. And when I'm in the stadium and it happens, and the guy in the red hat comes out onto the field and sticks his arm out, it's it's just excruciating. Again, there's nothing filling that time when you're in the stadium, standing crammed with 110,000 people, and it, you know whatever announcements are being made. On the on on the video board and PA system are are going. You you have now turned off the, anybody with with an with you know today's you know uber connected uh, attention span. You know I'm I'm an older millennial and it drives me crazy. I can't even imagine how quickly um, Gen Z folks w- would turn would tune out when when that happens. So. The, the media contracts and advertising and a lot of the future shifting to streaming and, and how media rights and football games are, are kind of going hand in hand. Um, there, there needs to be some, some innovation there because right now the model is really killing the in in game experience and, and uh, you know, the TV execs at ESPN and Fox and the rest of those guys don't particularly care if the stands are full, right? You know that the, you know the, they're selling ads and 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 moving on and, and putting the money in their pocket. So people that are more likely to stay home and watch it on TV, you know that doesn't hurt the the TV executives' uh, feelings at all. So the people that care about the in stadium experience need to think from that perspective when they're renegotiating, renegotiating some of these TV contracts that immediately drive, you know, the rhythm of the actual football game. And the other um, heavy hitter, I think, that ties into what you're saying is um, the explosion of the secondary ticket market, StubHub and, and SeatGeek and some of these other apps where 
a lot of season ticket sales, I think, right? I, I don't have the research, but I, you know, some preliminary conversations about this and a little bit of, of interest in it. And you find that a lot of season ticket um, sales go to huge ticket brokers, right? And they're buying up as much of these tickets as possible, right? And then looking to turn a profit on, on the major games because they, you know, they see a market opportunity with people that may want to go to one or two games per season, right? And, and now the flexibility of picking and choosing where you want to go and waiting to try to play the market for a game that you know you're going to want to go to you know, you can get those tickets a little bit cheaper if, uh, for example, a team lost. Now those ticket prices may go down. Somebody might put those onto the market and whatever. So that flexibility drove all of these um, entrepreneurs and other businesses to create this secondary ticket market. And now it's these huge, um, you know, almost ticket exchanges or brokers that are buying up mass quantities of tickets. And it's just, uh, you know, it's white collar digital scalpers um, that, that are really going to snatch up a lot of these tickets. Um, and, and again, they don't particularly care uh, as much on what the, what the face value is um, other than what it's going to, how it's going to affect their bottom line on the whole package for the whole season times however many seats that they've got so understanding that relationship i think is another huge um it's another perspective that has to be taken into account when the athletic department is trying to figure out what's best for season ticket holders well actually having people that are season ticket holders and coming to the games themselves is a big place to start and not packaging these and then selling them to to huge brokers that are just flipping them to whomever, especially um, the last game of the year when Ohio State's coming into town and you see all the red that drives you and I crazy. Uh, you know, this secondary uh, ticket market exchange uh, issue is a big driver of that. So the athletic department has has a say in that, and maybe they need to, to take that into account as well. So, Clint, <clears throat> I remember – when Michigan was rolling out the seat licenses, oh, I'm sorry, the mandatory, the mandatory donation, right? Um, which which just grinds me. Okay, I wish we could go back 50 years, and whatever fan base was stupid enough to sign up for this and make it commonplace. Okay, just a curse upon humanity, right? So I remember Michigan had some uh, public hearing. And I remember this older woman getting up saying, you know, I, I'm retired from the university. Um, I've bequeathed you money when I pass away. I have season ticket holder. I, you know, I have season tickets. How much more money of my, how much more of my money do you want? Okay. And <clears throat> being really frustrated. Right. And, you know, you talk about all these things that have happened, right? Ticket prices kept going up. And they told us, oh, don't worry, you'll be able to write off your um, your mandatory donation. Well, that went away. You know, that got limited. Um, they, they've closed that loophole somewhat, okay, which they should have, okay? It's, you know, again. And I remember when the athletic department had somebody selling us on the idea, they're like, it's going to be great. You're going to be able to write it off. Yeah, uh-huh, sure. 
until until the loophole gets changed. So now we have it, right? And <clears throat> what happened, and I've, I know season ticket holders who've done this. You know what? In order to justify my season tickets, I sell X number of tickets per year. So you're not getting, uh, you know, you're breaking the connection with those people because, you know, they, they need to be able to afford other things, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that, and, and listen, I, I can't criticize them. I get it. I understand. You know, um, we have a block of season tickets. And, you know, in the Rich Rod era and the Brady Hoke era, it was really hard to get rid of them. It was hard to give them away. And what, the, what this online ticket market has done, okay, is, you know, the athletic department used to really hate ticket scalping. What they really hated is they didn't get a cut, okay? So now that they get a cut, everything's fine, right? But what you're really seeing is what tickets are really worth, okay? And, yes, the big, get the big games can justify, you know, the cost of the entire season. But you look at what you can get a ticket for for some of the lesser games, and you're really getting a true transparency in what the tickets are worth, right? And, and then try making up your mandatory donation, right? So, you know, you have a situation where I think season ticket holders have been kind of dumped on for about 10 years now, 10 or 15 years. And then you have, like you said, sit in the stadium and then just wait during TV timeouts. And here's the ironic thing. Okay, the more scoring, the more you stand around because of the more commercials, right? Mm -hmm. The bigger the game, the more you stand around because the more they want to sell spots. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from a, 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 an executive standpoint, you know, uh, I'm running a media outlet. You know, I'm running a network. Man, I want as many commercials as I can. You know, I really thought, you know, a couple years ago, um, and you see this in Major League Baseball, Behind home plate, they will run digital ads during the game. And if you're at the game, you don't see them, okay? We saw this in football. They'd run digital ads that would show up on the field. Um, I really had hope for that, that you'd be able to, as distracting as it could be, at least you wouldn't have to stop the game, right? Well, um, what we're getting is we're getting everything. You're going to pay the the seat license. Ticket prices are going to go up, and you're going to have advertising. So that's one of the reasons why I am so adamant whenever I can say no to something is whenever they tell us, well, if we do this, ticket prices aren't going to go up. Yes, they are. They definitely are. They always do. Okay. And I'll tell you, I'm looking up right now and I have a framed picture from 1997. Okay. Of, you know, Marcus Ray putting a hit on David Boston. It's a Sports Illustrated. It's framed. And I have my ticket. And that ticket is $32, okay, for Michigan-Ohio State National Championship year, right? And then, you know, you, you go back, you know, I have the 2003 Sports Illustrated framed. That ticket's $51, right? Man, Michigan-Ohio State tickets last year, you know, again, it's just going to keep going up, okay? I mean, they've almost tripled in price, and, and they're just going to keep going up, so you got to do stuff to make the in-stadium experience better. So then we come back to the survey. I get it. They're trying to find a way to incentivize people. But, you know, again, it, 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 it's definitely going to be a struggle. And, again, Michigan is at the forefront of, of trying to deal with this. 
and um, it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Yeah, I, I agree that it's interesting and, and a little bit foreboding, and uh, it's hard to have faith that um, you know th that the altruism is going to you know drive the, the decision when we know it's going to be about the bottom line for the athletic department, and the question is who who ends up losing um, in the long run, not not if it's somebody is gonna is gonna end up kind of carrying the burden to make sure that the bottom line is, is what all of the power brokers want it to be. So um, I, I, I hope that, that the voice of the students and season ticket holders and alumni bases that still wield some power collectively can, uh, can be heard. You know, I, I, you know, I hear your point that this survey is likely kind of a, uh, a smoke screen to, to provide cover for decisions that may already be made, but we'll, we'll see. And um, in the past, when the athletic department has made mistakes that, that made people upset, you know, uh, they've, they've had to reverse course when, when those people, you know, voiced their displeasure. So we'll, we'll see. It's something that you and I can keep, keep a little bit of an eye on and, and, and try to communicate as widely as possible and see if, uh, if the university and the, and the athletic department can can if they're doing if they're making decisions that are trying to make the game day experience better, even if you and I personally may disagree, um, I, I would say that that's justifiable. But if if everything is about um, you know driving driving revenue and eventually protecting the bottom line at the expense of the game day experience, then that's a spiral, uh, you know, that's a death spiral that I don't want to see our program uh, fall into. Absolutely. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for umgoblue.com on iTunes. Go Blue!